Well, hello everyone. This is Ben and Cynthia Bailey, and we are looking this week at the last half of Exodus, and we are studying the tabernacle. Yeah, so the tabernacle. Now, as we look at this section of Scripture from Exodus 19 all the way to Numbers 10, remember we're at Mount Sinai, and one of the most important things if you're going to engage with this section of Scripture well, and you're going to delight in it, and that's what we want to do. We want to delight in the Word and in the law. Uh, you got to remember what kind of literature you're reading. Okay. What kind of book is this? <laughs> and so like last week, we used the, the, the illustration of like a Shakespeare play. Um, how do you know you're engaging with a Shakespeare's play? We, Shakespeare play, you have to see it lived, engaged, or a cookbook. Now, when I went back and listened to it, I realized I kept calling it a recipe book, and you never corrected <laughs> me. Why didn't you stop and correct it me? It reveals both of our uh, abilities in, in the kitchen. It's a cookbook. <laughs> so how do you know you are faithfully following the cookbook? You know, cookbooks aren't necessarily the kind of thing you just read for pleasure reading. Um, I don't know. Your sister... Yeah, some people do. So those rare, and I'm, I'm grateful for those people. Shout out and, to Johanna. And I want them at our home during Thanksgiving and things like that. <laughs> but it's not necessarily the kind of thing. But that's an important point is that's what this literature is. So it's also similar to like it's tax season. And you may not sit down and read through the entire U.S. legal tax code. <laughs> but you need your accountant to know mm -hmm. the tax code, and you need him to follow it. Mm -hmm. And in one sense, it doesn't matter if you know what's there. What matters is, is he following it? Mm -hmm. And this is actually priestly material intended for the priest to understand how they can build the Lord's house and then um, perform the sacrifices required to enter into his presence. Mm -hmm. So in one sense, it doesn't matter if people really know what's there, but it's really important for the modern-day priest to understand what's here so they can perform the task. Mm -hmm. So this section we're going to look at today is the building plans for constructing the tabernacle. Okay. So building plans might not be the first place you go to want to have a close encounter with the living Lord. <laughs> so they might not be the things that kind of excite you. Do building plans or interior? So it's it's architectural blueprint and then interior decorating stipulations. Do either of those excite you? <laughs> I appreciate interior design. I just can't create it. Mm, so something you appreciate but can't create. Mm -hmm. uh, and like many, and this actually I have in front of you, which makes for bad radio, three different pictures, <laughs> four different pictures, because so many of these things, it's really hard to understand what you're hearing when you just hear it described or just read it. Mm -hmm. But when you actually see it, just seeing the picture says, oh, I get it. I mm -hmm. see what's happening. Mm -hmm. So for, for example, I have on this first picture, I actually have the schematic of the layout of the 12 tribes mm -hmm. about where they would camp around the tabernacle. And when you're reading through the Pentateuch, you'll hear that described, and then you'll think, what in the world is, what is going on? But then when you actually just see the overhead picture of what's being described, it instantly makes sense what's yeah. happening. Yeah. So you see like this picture here, all 12 tribes are strategically and intentionally surrounded by, or they're surrounding the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. And this is showing you that the whole point is that God's presence will dwell in their midst. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. And some of the things you can see, the, the priests are the ones who uh, surround the tent of meeting. They're the guardians of the tabernacle. And then you have it perfectly um, 
distributed where three tribes at every coordinate, so three on the north, three on the south, three on the east, three on the west, and then it's intentional who's where. So Judah is in the east uh, to guard the entrance into the presence of the Lord, and you have them all spread around. And then notice just like what kind of shape. If you were to take the 50,000-foot aerial view over the Israelites as they're encamped in the wilderness around the tabernacle, what, what shape is this creating? A cross. It is. I never put that together. Yeah. Interesting. And so having the images are, is helpful. Mm-hmm. So I also have a detailed image of the tabernacle mm-hmm. and then a larger image of the whole tabernacle complex here. Mm-hmm. That'll help us as we just think, all right, what's actually um, going on? So I would encourage everybody to get a good you know, Bible dictionary, a good study Bible that can give you some of the images so you can um, read through it. There are some great ones on Google too. So I would encourage you, you know, probably almost even as you're listening, just look it up on, you know, on Google, just type in the tabernacle tent. All right. So having the big picture really helps. And it also helps as you're going through the text. So when you're looking at this section of Exodus from Exodus 24, all the way to the end of chapter 31 is the construction and the establishment of the tabernacle. So that's one literary unit. Okay. So what I would encourage as best as possible, try to read it all together and have this little outline. Maybe we can post this in the show notes. This little outline as a helpful form to understand how it's constructed. Because mm-hmm. not only is the tabernacle to be very intentionally constructed, the actual text for the, the architectural plans is very intentionally constructed. Mm-hmm. And look at how it mirrors. You have, um, in essence, in 24.12, you have the promise of the tables of the law. And then 31.18, you have the gift of the tables of the law. So they parallel. In 25, 1 through 9, you have the materials for the tabernacle. And then in 31, 1 through 17, you have the workmen constructing the tabernacle. So they parallel. Mm -hmm. And then right in the middle, you have the tabernacle specifications and then the tabernacle officiants, the priest. So the building and the furniture and then the people who will fill it. Um, And a couple really kind of cool things about this section. So in this section from 24, um, starting in verse 12, all the way till the end of 31, um, this section is a section of new creation. So you need to have Genesis 1, new creation in your mind. And there's some beautiful things that help highlight that. So for example, there's in this section, there's very seven clear and definite formal, it's almost kind of the old translation, thus saith the Lord. Because all throughout this section, it's, and the Lord said to Moses, or, and he said to him, and it's Mm kind of informal, but then every so often you'll have these more formal, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, boom. Mm -hmm. And so in this section, you have a very clear, formal, seven different times, and thus saith the Lord. And so it's the seven, and the Lord said, and then it happened. So he's recreating the pattern of creation. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, remember, in, in creation, in the first days one through three, he, he brings the form. And then days four, five, and six, he fills it with life. Mm-hmm. The exact same thing in building the tabernacle. The whole first section is building the form of the structure. And then the ark, table, lampstands, the dwelling place, the courtyard, building the form. And then the second half is then he's then filling it. Mm-hmm. That's how he builds. That's so cool. And then one of the things you'll notice, I, I just took a little yellow pen and highlighted all the different times the key word is you shall make you Mm. will make you will create you Mm. will build you will make that key word 
I mean, I don't want to count it, but just on this one page of chapter 25 and 26, I'm looking at it at least 30 times. And so you just mark how that's the key word. So the Lord is, the Lord first made the creation and now he's doing a second act of creation where he's making his dwelling. Mm -hmm. And so why does that matter? It, it matters because this is an act of recreation. Mm. Why does it matter? It matters because he spends one chapter making the world, and then he spends about uh, a dozen, you know, <laughs> ten chapters making his own house. Mm. And so, um, you see what's important. And why does it matter? It matters because the tabernacle is God's house. Mm. It's his dwelling place. Mm-hmm. And so the whole tabernacle system is meant to symbolize our life with God. So you're reading about the furniture, and it's not, oh, this is just cool furniture that God wants in his house. Mm-hmm. The furniture teaches us something about who he is and who we are while mm-hmm. we were made. Hmm. I just love how in the description of the tabernacle, how in almost every single description, it is either describing a characteristic of our God or echoing back to creation or foreshadowing Christ and how he's going to fulfill um the longings or the law um, of God's people. It's just, it's just so fascinating as you look into the details, what they are um, pointing to. Yeah, and look at how, so the tabernacle is God's house. The original creation is God's house, his dwelling, heaven is throne, earth is his footstool, and then you have the same dynamic here. And then there's three spheres, just like in the first creation, heaven's earth, under the earth, there's three spheres into his house. You have in the tabernacle proper, you have the inner sanctuary where the ark is and where the law is going to be placed and the, um, the ark of the covenant, and that's his inner sanctuary. That's where he dwells. This is his dwelling place. Uh, big, thick curtain to keep people out. You can't go in here. Mm-hmm. This is his room. Mm-hmm. And then you have that the next kind of the courtyard area where he lives. You have the lamp to light the house. You have the table where you eat the food or the showbread, the incense to keep those represents the prayers, but that keeps the house smelling nice. This mm-hmm. is the living room where the special guests can come in and only the priests can go in there, but they go in daily. Then you have the outer court. See the very outer court with the, the great altar and the basin and then the tables. This is the kitchen. This is where you cook the food. This is where the sacrifice happens and you have fellowship and feasting with the people who come in. The people can come in here. You know, in the ancient world, now in our world, the kitchen is the very hub of most homes. Mm -hmm. In the ancient world, you'd have the kitchen, it was outside because that's where you had the fire and you had to cook and you had to bring the water and all Mm of the um, um, things. Mm -hmm. So this is representing his actual house. Mm -hmm. And the point of the house is that God intends to dwell with his people. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. How can the Lord dwell with his people? And aiding to the importance of studying the tabernacle, it is just um, such a good reminder. I'm so thankful in your sermons how you point us back to this often with um, different touch points and um, of heaven in Scripture. So there's only a few that Scripture references of basically heaven coming down, God's presence descending. And we have that in the garden. Mm-hmm. We have that in the tabernacle, Mm -hmm. then again in the temple, and then, of course, Christ incarnate who comes down from heaven himself. And so this is super important because this is one of the few times in Scripture that we have God's presence descending. Yeah, the great sting of sin is that it separated what should be joined together. And one of the the separation is that it separates us and God. 
and you have these touch points of heaven and earth touch point, touching, like you, you mentioned. And there's, there's others. There's, you know, Jacob's ladder when he sees. That's a small touch point. The tabernacle on the mountain of Sinai, that's the touch point. And what's so fascinating about the tabernacle, you know, the tabernacle is going to become a portable Sinai where they now can come into the place where they can have and experience the encounter of the living Lord. And then Jesus becomes that. And then the church in this age, the church is now the portable touch point where people can come and encounter the living Lord, where the mm-hmm. Spirit dwells. He dwells in us individually and then in us corporately. He's the, the, the We individually and corporately are the new dwelling place of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's look at chapter 25 okay. as we kind of set it off and... Kind of the, this whole section really starts, um, starts chapter 24. Chapter 24, verse 12 is the first, and the Lord said to Moses, come up onto the mountain. That's the first, and the Lord said, drawing him up. But look at chapter 25, verse 8. Okay. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make. All right, so that's a key verse that is the paradigm for the whole section. And this is one of, you know, I want to over-exaggerate, but if you don't over-exaggerate, then you're just kind of boring. So we'll <laughs> over-exaggerate and say, this might be the most important verse in the whole Bible. I love, you know, I, as you well know, I did my dissertation on Martin Lloyd-Jones, and one of the critiques of him is every Sunday he would say, this is the most important scripture in the whole Bible, and then people wouldn't make fun of him for that. But he would, he would say, well, don't you want your pastor to believe every scripture he's preaching is <laughs> vitally important. And that, and in one sense, if you see the truth, they all really matter. Mm-hmm. But so I'm going to channel Lloyd-Jones, and this is the most important passage in the whole Old Testament, even though last week we talked about 19 being the most important. <laughs> but this, the key, this concept is important. So notice what he says, and you, you will make, so in the original creation, I did all the making through my active agent of the word, and then now I'm going to do all my recreation through my active agents of you, my people. So you're going to make but you're going to make me a sanctuary, a place where I dwell, sacred space where I can be honored and encountered. But it's going to be exactly as I show you according to the pattern of the tabernacle. So this is the key. Moses is going to be drawn up into the heavenly presence on Mount Sinai. The Lord is going to show him the heavenly pattern of his house, and then it's his job to bring down to earth and make a reality the pattern he sees in heaven. So that process, that pattern, is so essential for understanding the whole Bible, the church, our lives, what the world is meant to be and do. But where have you heard echoes or something like that before? Um, There's a heavenly reality, and your job is to make the heavenly reality a reality on earth. Oh, the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, yeah. So your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's done on, so our job with the church, um, that's why we did the whole series in Ephesians, preaching through Ephesians, saying on earth as it is in heaven, you were supposed to see the pattern of the heavenly realities, and it's our job to bring them down. So like in worship and all these different things, it's mm-hmm. not our job just to do it the best way we think is great and cool and exciting and will engage people at this time. It's our job to see the heavenly pattern and then bring it down. Mm. So that's central here. And then notice it's all the furniture and all these different things you have to make. All right, so this first section is all about the construction, its construction, and its furniture. 
And I was really struck, you know, being a portable church, how we set up and tear down mm-hmm. every single week. I appreciated in the men's Bible study. Some of the ops guys were laughing about they understand all about the need for the construction <laughs> of bases and poles and curtains to, <laughs> to hang and hold these things. Mm-hmm. So we get that. Um, let's think about a couple of the pieces. Just, I mean, there's so much rich reality in all the pieces of the furniture. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all mm-hmm. could reward tremendous study. Mm-hmm. Let's think about a couple of pieces. Let's look first at, let's think about God's, in essence, his living room, the little area that he draws. And then in verse 25, you'll see you have the Ark of the Covenant. You have the table for the showbread. You have the lampstand. Um, you know, what are, what are those pieces for? What are they doing? Now, one thing that's interesting when you read through, you'll see that central to Aaron's duty was he was to make sure that the lamps, every day, the lamps, the lampstand. Um, I notice you, you can see barely, you know, in this image, you can see the picture of the lampstand. You know, mm-hmm. there's seven, and there's no coincidence, there's seven candles, and this created out of the almond tree, so it's the mm-hmm. blossoming of life, seven lights, and it's his job to make sure that the lamps were always facing forward, so it doesn't really look quite right on this picture, you can't quite see it, but the job is to make sure the light are, is facing forward, and it's being directed on the table mm-hmm. with the 12 pieces of showbread. Mm-hmm. All right, so why? So you're starting to think, all right, well, why? What does that symbolize? Why do you think there's 12, intentionally 12 pieces of showbread on the table? What is that to represent? The 12 tribes. So it represents 12 tribes, God's people. So they're represented, there's, there's a place at the table for each of God's people. And then could also, maybe there's a reference to the 12 months of the year, the continual hmm. um, feasting, mm-hmm. but every... Every one of his people have a place at his table. And then the light represents the life-giving presence of the Lord, mm-hmm. his blessing. And so what the arrangements are visual and physical portrayals of God's intention for his people to live continually in his presence. Mm-hmm. So the priest's job every morning is to provide a sacrifice so they can come in and then trim the lamp so the lamp is always shining Mm-hmm. on the 12 loaves. Isn't it also representative of life that the lampstand is, it kind of symbolizes a tree and that it's also, it's living, it's yes. blooming, yep. it's budding uh-huh. and yep. like it's continually uh-huh. yeah. living. And yes. so there's of course that extra connection to life uh-huh. and yep. then that extra connection back to the garden, the tree of life. Yep. Uh-huh. yep. This is the new tree of life where you find his presence. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. And then we actually, the way we can become living trees of life is by um, him planting us by streams of water and meditating on his word day and night. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the light symbolizes the blessings of God on the people of God. Mm-hmm. But it has to be mediated through the priest. It's the priest's job to mediate, to make sure it's happening, to bring it in, you know, into existence. And it only happens in the house of God. Mm-hmm. This, this is where it happens. And it culminates in the great Aaronic benediction that he puts on the people every morning and evening after he comes in to do his work, mm-hmm. which is, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Mm-hmm. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace. That's mm-hmm. what he's doing here. He's making the light of the face of the Lord shine upon the people mm-hmm. um, for his fellowship. 
And then his role, Sabbath by Sabbath, he would go in and bring every Sabbath. It was a renewal of the bread of the presence, where he's bringing fresh bread to lay out for the week in his presence. So Sabbath by Sabbath, every Sunday, bringing, or every, every Sabbath, every Saturday, bringing in the fresh bread of the presence. So that's one of the reasons, Sabbath by Sabbath, we come into his presence and we bring the fresh bread of his word and table to renew uh, the, the relational presence with the people in the Lord. Sorry for the background noise, folks. Samuel's playing in, playing in the office while we record. But he keeps very gently holding his finger up to his mouth, letting us know he's yeah. being quiet. So he's, <laughs> he's being good. He's, he's trying. You might hear a little clamor or giggle every now and then, which will oh, help us out, won't it, buddy? <laughs> and so the detailed construction is going to reveal part of God's character, and it's going to reveal something that's required of his presence. And then think about even the things like as you look at the picture— I mean, you notice like the curtains. So let's actually read in the men's Bible study. We spent some time thinking about the curtains, so we thought mm. it would. With all the pipe and drape. Yeah, all the pipe <laughs> and resonated. drape. And, you know, the next time maybe your wife wants new curtains and you scoff at how much the they cost. And yeah, and the significance. <laughs> you say, all right, well, here, let's look at this. So look at verse <laughs> chapter 26. This is a very godly desire. And what do you know? Just read a couple things about the, about the curtains. In verse 6. Chapter 26, verse 1. Okay. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. The length of the curtain shall be 28 cubits and the breadth of each cubit four, or breadth of each curtain four cubits. They shall all be made the same size and five curtains shall be. So this whole detailed construction. And so actually what you end up seeing, you've got... Uh, the outer layer that's intended to be intentionally beautiful and it's ornate. Mm -hmm. And then you have different inner layers that make it thick and durable. So to make it insulated with, you'll have, talk about the goat's hair, the insulation. Don't don't know how to, some will say like dolphin skin or otter skin. We don't really know what that is. Some type of sea animal, that whole point is to make it waterproof. So that's the outer layer. But as you look, notice it's the inner curtains have the cherubim. Mm Mm-hmm. The outer curtains don't, so you got two sets of curtains. And then why do you think the beautiful color, why these colors of purple and then scarlet and then blue? Don't they symbolize royalty? I right, so the purple, yes, purple symbolizing royal, royalty. And so reason why, um, reason why is because in the ancient Near East, the dye it would create to create purple, you had to dye it, and it was it was extraordinarily rare and expensive. So mm-hmm. purple is so symbolizing royalty. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about like the blue and the scarlet? The, almost like the, it's almost more like scarlet, a... Scarlet, more symbolic of blood. Ah, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure there's some blood there because you have one whole section that's at, that's scarlet and intertwined. Mm-hmm. So probably getting at that. Um, but I'm not sure about the blue. What's what's the blue symbolizing? But even the scarlet, both of them, the blue is symbolizing creation, sky. This is a, this is a okay. microcosm, a small world. So it's a new creation. So it's the beauty of the blue and the scarlet is sunrise, sunset, beauty of the sky. Okay. Um, so there's three. Is it Trinitarian? So do you think? Maybe. I'm always like inclined to be. Yeah, maybe. Spirit. Could I be. Know. I don't know. That's <laughs> Things you want to, you know, the most important skill for Bible reading is not um, advanced linguistic knowledge of Greek and Hebrew. The most important skill is not advanced, in depth 
ancient Near Eastern cultural background. The most important skill for Bible reading is just the ability to notice. Hmm. Like, hmm, I notice, I see. That's interesting. Yeah. And then just kind of running with those. Yeah. There it goes. So because could be. Because you could. I mean, if you were thinking about blue representing sky, that could be kind of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And then purple, royalty, God the Father. And then scarlet pointing to the blood. Oh, Christ. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. like where that's going. Yeah, yeah. That's good. I was thinking along the lines of, like, the Florida Gators, how, you know, I'm not a Gator <laughs> fan. But for our Gator fans, I mean, the reason why the Gators are the color they are, orange and blue, is because it's supposed to be the same colors of the Florida sunset. And so you look and see those beautiful sunsets with that rich blue and mm-hmm. the orange. And and uh, um, that doesn't make me like the gators, but it does <laughs> when I see these beautiful sunsets that it we see, me. Walker, I- it's like, hmm. <laughs> Um, so there's some of that there. I actually like your theological reading much more than the <laughs> college football reading of the Trinity. Um, but notice a couple things about the curtains. Um, all right, so why would we have these curtains? Like, remember, the whole tabernacle is to reveal God's character and what's required to enter into his presence. What? Let's just use the curtains as an illustration. What is that supposed to teach us? Well, there's always, I think, practical things God is he just does so many things just like to protect them from germs and protect them from like maybe smells and contamination and all that. So there's got to be some practical reasons for the tent, probably the portability, like they can tear them down, set them up mm-hmm. fairly quickly and easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I bet it does keep the smell out. Do you think it? Mm, yeah, that's absolutely one of the reasons for the, for the incense. Yeah, the, and the, the sacrifices. Uh-huh. Yep. I mean, yeah. Germs. I'm, I wonder if it's protecting the people from contamination. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's the, I guess, the privacy factor. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I'm just trying to think along just, yeah. just practical lines. Yep. And then you think, you know, the, um, one of the things the curtains are doing are intentionally keeping the wrong people out. So, you know what? There's cherubim on the curtains into the inner sanctuary. Mm-hmm. So where have we seen cherubim before um, up until this point? <laughs> Was one of the angels the one uh, when they were, when Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden? Yes, that's it. Yes, bingo. Okay. <laughs> I was no, doubting myself. No, oh wrong gosh, one. Oh, wrong. Where, yep. oh, I can't find Hold on. Soundboard. Oh, no, that's not it. Where's the cheering? No, that's not right either. Yes, there we go. We got Bingo. it. Bingo. Bingo. Yes. Yes. So when Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, a cherubim is placed at the eastern gate. This is this opening door facing east, placed ah, at the eastern gate okay. to guard the way. So another echo of the garden. Mm-hmm. So another yeah. w- to guard the way, very specifically, the way back into God's presence. So they're the guardians, and here the cherubim are set up as the guardians into God's presence. So you can only come in, um, you can only enter in his presence in the way that he's prescribed. Remember, this is God's house. You can't just run into it and start rearranging the furniture and demand mm-hmm. an entrance anytime you want. This is his house. He's the king. <laughs> Yay, he's the king. <laughs> All right, so this, this teaches us what's required to enter into his presence. And... 
A um, couple of New Testament echoes, just as we close, the things to celebrate and remember. I was so struck, you know, when we preached through John a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. one of the whole themes of John, you know, it's amazing how John, one of the key themes is that Jesus is the new tabernacle mm-hmm. and even sets it up that the glory of the Lord has tabernacled with us. The glory of the Lord has tabernacled and dwelt among us. And then actually there's this amazing parallel where John's walking you through um, the symbolism of all of the tabernacle furniture. I mean, so you can look in the in the picture of the tabernacle at the very open courts is this great um, uh, this great pool of water there where they have to be cleansed and um, purified. That's great. And then think about even in the first part of John, all the different things that happen, the water related things. So he turns the water to wine. He cleanses a new temple. Uh, Nicodemus is about you have to be born again with water and spirit. Then he meets the woman at the water of the well. Mm-hmm. And then you move in and the middle part of John uses all these different, I'm the light of the world. He's a light. I'm the bread of life. He's that bread. All of these different pieces mm-hmm. from the tabernacle imagery. And so the tabernacle teaches us what's required to enter into the God's, God's presence. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus is the one who makes access into that presence possible. Mm-hmm. So even the cherubim, they were to guard the way mm-hmm. into his presence. And what does Jesus say? I now, I am yeah. the way, yeah. the truth, and the, the life. The tabernacle is no, no one, longer needed. Yep, it's no longer needed, but no one can come yeah. to the Father but through me. So in this world, nobody could come to the Father except through the Levitical priest. Mm-hmm. Now no one can come to the Father except through our greater high priest, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So there's a lot to be learned by looking at interior design. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Hope you guys have a great week.